The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the things you need to know to build your own financial independence through investing in real estate. And today we have a special program that landlords are going, you're going to want to make absolutely sure if you're sitting at your desk at work, secretly listening to real life real estate, because that's where your heart really lies, that you do not get interrupted. Because if you're a landlord or training to be one, you want to know something, and that is how to collect 100% of your rent. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Can't believe it, but the 2013 Ohio Real Estate Investors Association's National New Strategy Summit happens tomorrow. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And those of you who are going to be joining us by virtue of being real-life real estate listeners and having pledged to the station for your ticket, we really appreciate your support of public radio. And I hope that you will come and introduce yourself because uh, I can't see you out there. I know you're listening, but... I don't know what you look like. So please come and say hi while you are at the station or at the uh, at the convention. If you have not yet downloaded your copy of the schedule so that you can plan out how you're going to spend your next few days, you can do that by going to oreaconvention.com. That's O-R-E-I-A convention.com and check out the full agenda and that will tell you uh, who's speaking when and what you absolutely cannot miss. One of the folks that you cannot miss is Cynthia Schmidt, a.k.a. Mrs. Landlady, who is one of our featured experts there. Uh, she and her husband Gary have been landlords for upwards of two decades now, and they've had over 700 tenants. They did their first eviction back in 1996, and Cynthia was a little shocked about what she was seeing there in eviction court, how chaotic it was and how many landlords did not know what they were doing in eviction court. So she set out on a mission, and it truly is a mission for Cynthia, to figure out how to uh, make the legal system work for landlords so that tenants could not walk away owing tons of rent, having done tons of damages to a property and not paying for it and just moving on and doing again to the next landlord. Joining us today by phone is Cynthia Schmidt. Cynthia, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. I was excited when he gave, uh, Christy got a hold of me and asked me to come and 
be on your uh, radio show, and I was uh, excited about it. So I was waiting right by the phone there to <laughs> get on with, uh, I haven't seen you or talked to you since last year at the National Summit, but thank you for inviting me. And uh, I know it'll be a very educational program we got tonight. It today. will, it will, and, and we appreciate you being able to join us today because so, so many, I mean, the vast majority, like 98 plus percent of landlords sort of have this, um, I don't know, like like defeatist attitude about the tenants who move and don't pay the last month's rent, and then you got the eviction fees, and then they leave their stuff, and you have to pay somebody to move it, and then after you've moved it, you find out they did damage to the property, and you know, really the bill adds up to thousands of dollars, and most landlords will just sort of lay back and go, well... At least I got my property back, so and I'm, I'm never going to be able to collect from them because you know if they had any money they would have paid their rent in the first place. Why do you think that is? Well, Vina, when I first, like I said, when I first came into the eviction court and uh, my first eviction, I noticed you know the landlords, even with lawyers, they're up there like panicky, like I only want my place back. I want to, like, I don't care, just give it, I don't care about the money. Well, first of all, we care about the money, because you wouldn't be in real estate. So I was sort of lost thinking, this, it doesn't look correct here. Well, where I feel that the real problem, uh, like why this has come on to the profession, and I've thought about it night, nights, during the nights, I should be sleeping, I'm thinking... When you become an accidental or landlord, you're, you have the hat of painting, first finding the good property, financing, painting, cleaning, screening, and renting it out. You don't have the hat in the closet with those others of the court system. And when, they be, when you become an accidental or landlord, you have to know 100% of the court system. So that means from the beginning, serving your notices to the eviction or small claims, and then the post-judgment proceedings to collect. And I feel that the landlords have evolved the profession, first of all, because like 20, 30 years ago, you know, a retired gentleman would be owning the home, and he has four apartments in it, and he owns it in full. And then when a tenant would go away, instead of learning the court system or getting further educated, he would say, just let him go. I don't care about it. Get him out of here. Well, he owned the property in full and probably paid $5,000 for it, and he did. his brain didn't want to go in further education for the profession. Then the boom came, and we everybody bought property, and either they're stuck with it flipping that didn't flip, or they're a landlord, and we have mortgages, and it evolved huge. And where I feel that, first of all, is letting the landlords and investors know their options that we have. And I feel that they lack even knowing the options of the post-judgment to collect. And that's where I try to bring to the table just like, you know, they're in their toolbox, I try to put the court system in, in with the Makita, you know, the Flathead, the Phillips screwdriver, and the court system, because that's 
the full circle. Mm-hmm. And whether you have a lawyer or a manager or you represent yourself, every real estate investor and landlord should know every inch of that business. Mm-hmm. And that's where when I started collecting in post-judgment after I got the judgments, I didn't. I came home and Gary, I was collecting this money, and Gary goes, the other landlords are in there. And I go, no, nobody came. And so for eight years, I was collecting my money, and no one, no, no, nobody was coming to where I was getting my money. And that's where I realized that they need to know all the options that are available. And I feel that I've spoke across the nation this year and taught in Texas, Ohio, Florida, their, their versions, and there's lots of procedures that they're unaware of. Mm-hmm. Plus, I feel they lack confidence because they are not attorneys. You know, they're not, they didn't study it. But once they know and the options and how to deal with this epidemic and the whole thing, we start building confidence up into the profession. And that's where I feel um, I was the only one out there collecting it for eight years, and I turned around every time I was trying to see if there was other landlords there, and no one would come. Then I knew that the profession needs further educating. And that's where we have to see that we need, we constantly got to keep gathering more education. Mm -hmm. And that's my mission. And we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about some scary statistics about judgments out there that landlords have not collected and why you need to not feel guilty about collecting yours. We can also take your phone calls at 877-772-9658 or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Cynthia Schmidt, who has taken time out of her preparation to be at the National New Strategies Summit this weekend to talk to us about her favorite topic, which is collecting back rents. And Cynthia, uh, you say that there are there's nearly $20 billion in unpaid judgments out there that's owed. Is that a real number? It's by the U.S. Census report. Uh, The unpaid judgments are close to $20 billion. And that's not counting the last four years interest and court costs, which could double it or triple it. Mm -hmm. Because some of the interest, some of the judgments are good for 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, and that interest is accruing as we're speaking. Mm-hmm. So it is huge, and 70% of that those judgments are collectible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those judgments belong to people who own rental houses and, uh, you know, got judgments against their tenants and then didn't do anything about it. But even, even worse than that, uh, we often will see a landlord who doesn't even get to the stage of the judgment. They have calculated up... I got a thousand dollar deposit, and then it costs me. Uh, they missed two months' rent, so they owe me two thousand there, and then late fees, and then it cost me one hundred fifty bucks to go to court, and then uh, there was damage above reasonable wear and tear of another three thousand. So really, they owe me five thousand, but I'm not even going to go to court and say they owe me five thousand. I'm just going to 
complain to all of my my friends and relatives and and i'm going to go to my rear group and (laughs) i get the i get the cheese with the wine every time you know what i mean i'm like oh my gosh you get the violin i put it the music okay you know uh, you well where that stems from is when they said it's not worth it for me to go for the five thousand dollars to learn the business well, they've already spent how many hours losing. That's in the red money. That's money that they've spent all these hours. It's in the red. They didn't learn anything. And see, that's what the problem is. They have, That's a Band-Aid, just letting them go. Then the, the tenant thinks, well, the landlord doesn't need the money. He just want, we can steal from them and then go, okay? Think of the theory. You put them up against the wall every time and demand documents and all the procedures, zero in on them, and we let them know that we're a judgment creditor that is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what's happened to them. If, just think of it if you're the tenant. You think, oh, boy, the landlord, they don't, they're, they're naive of the post-judgment proceedings. I can go ahead. They told me the money doesn't matter. They just want me out. So the $5,000, they must not need the money. Mm-hmm. And that is the total, I, I, that's wrong to be thinking that way. We go in and get the judgment against them, put them up against the wall, learn the business, collect the money, and let them know that we're not going to just go away. Mm-hmm. And that's what the tenants have done all these years. You've got to realize, I look at their brain. And their brain is, oh, the landlord never comes after it anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and and that has more um, blowback than just you as the landlord losing money. Because as you mentioned, that means that when they go to the next property and they break something and don't fix it, they say, eh, you know, the landlord's not going to come after me anyway. And and uh, we, we, we've all seen tenants who have gotten into the habit of just not paying their last two months' rent because it yeah, takes because it takes that long to get them out. And... <laughs> they, they right away want to absorb that security deposit, which that is not in, no that's for the damages. And then we're not we don't go in and serve the notice immediately on that last month. You've got to really be on it when you know they're going to be moving, and let them know that we're going to go ahead and take you down and get the judgment against you, not just possession. Go for the second cause, the judgment. This will go on your record. We'll chase you down to the ends till you pay me. Now, if they're not on Social Security or below the poverty level, there's no way that they're not going to pay you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let me let me play um, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Sure. And say that uh, there, there's undoubtedly some folks out there. Maybe they're in the real estate business, and maybe they're not. Who are thinking? Well, you know, if somebody doesn't pay their rent and somebody and somebody, you know, damages property and doesn't pay to fix it, it's probably because they have financial issues. I mean, maybe something happened to them, and maybe they, maybe they lost their job, and and this is just mean to go back and yeah, you know, ch- ch- chase somebody who who might have financial problems that that are not their fault. Do you, you ever hear that? Oh my gosh, I hear it constantly. What I feel right there, judgments, I have written a version for all 50 states. Some judgments are good for seven years. Some judgments we can renew for 20 years. We right away say at that moment they're never going to have any money. 
they're never. At that moment, oh, they got trouble. The next 20 years, they're going to be out buying big screen TVs. They're going to be giving other landlords deposits. They're going to be out eating at restaurants. We're not demanding their tax forms and see exactly if they're getting tax returns. So what we do, these judgments stay for a long time. Right away, it comes down at that moment, oh, they'll never have any money from there on. Mm-hmm. Now, they're going to probably, they gave a security deposit to another landlord. If they go ahead, they, they get big screen TVs, they get new cars, everything like that. And it's easier for the landlord to say that. Oh, they'll never have it for the next 20 years' money. No, they have money will be going, th- unless they're 80 years old, in the next 20 years they're going to end up 100 they're going to have some money in their pockets. Now, if they don't start learning how to pay their old debts, they're going to start going in these new debts. They're just going to keep accruing it. And when they have to pay, they pay. And this is better for them to learn to step up to the plate. <laughs> well, my uh, my um, uh, property manager uh, said said something really interesting in, in regards to this. Um, uh, there was a, a situation where... Uh, a tenant really did have something going on in their family. And they said, uh, I can't pay my rent this month because my sister needs me to give her $500 for something. And my property manager said, so what you are asking is for me to give your sister $500. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm giving it to her. And he said, no, by not paying for the roof over your head that you agreed to pay for, you are taking that $500 away from me to give it to your sister. And I don't think that's right. If you have friends that want to give you money, go ahead and get it. But taking it from me is not the right thing to do. That is the, exactly because all of a sudden the tenants, and this is because of our not knowing every inch of our business to control it. They have been controlling it. Now, this isn't not about the good tenants. You know, give them gifts, love your good tenants. It's about the non-paying, which destroy our, our profession. But they have uh, gone along, and they think that we're a charity. Now, that's what I call what you're not. I'm going to give to a charity, give me the rent, and I'll give it to my charity. We're not your family's charity, and that's what I call it. Mm -hmm. We are a business, just like at Walmart. If she's going through that line at Walmart with $500 worth of items and say, can I get this free because I'm going to give the $500 what I'm going to pay here to my sister, do you think they're going to let her go through? (laughs) No. It's a business, right? And if and if if they try if the if the customer tries to walk out with five hundred dollars worth of stuff without paying for it, they get arrested and they go to court. And <laughs> in in our business, there's no there's no getting arrested for for stealing rent. And I said that one time to um to to a person who was not in the real estate business and was of a more uh, let's just say politically liberal leaning. And, sure. and, 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 and what the woman said to me was that it, it's a completely different thing. People need 
a roof over their heads. They don't need stuff at Walmart. And I said, great, if you walk out of the grocery store with $500 worth of food, which you need worse than a roof over your head, you still get arrested. It doesn't matter how badly you need it. The rule is you have to pay for it. And if you don't pay for it, it's stealing. So uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, uh, even some landlords have sort of has sort of just absorbed that idea that it, it, it isn't stealing, it's just not paying your rent. But you, on the other hand, have gone out and worked out some ways for us to collect this rent. So let's let's talk about what that process is right after we take a quick break. I also want to invite uh, callers to uh, and ask any questions they might have on our toll-free number at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where today we, and by that I mean me and also you listeners, are having a conversation with Cynthia Schmidt, also known as Mrs. Landlady. You can do your part in the conversation by emailing any questions you might have to askvina at gmail.com or just giving us a call at 877-772-9658. The topic today is how and why to collect rent from tenants who have left owing you rent. Now, uh, Cynthia, you have way more ideas about how to collect these judgments than we can possibly cover in a 48-minute radio show. Uh, but um, first step we've already said is you have to get a judgment. And what is the difference between getting a judgment and just getting the court to say, yeah, they need to move? I mean, at possession, the first claim, and then the second claim. The first claim in, in Ohio. Now, I've done all 50 states, but I'm going to be talking specifically about Ohio today, naturally, instead of Hawaii. I know. The first claim was just getting your possess- getting the possession, and the second claim is for the money judgments. And I hear a lot of the landlords have said, I just went in for the claim to get the possession. I didn't go for the money judgment. And that right away, we have to go in to get the judgment because we can put it on, in, uh, put a, a lien in the county that they live in. We can pull them in for the debtor's examination to get paid. And the judgment stays on them for lots of years. So we I feel that you have to, you're already down there, going to go there for the possession. You might as well go in and spend the time to get the money judgment on them. That mm-hmm. is a must. Okay, so when I, when I, once I get the judgment, I actually have something from the court that says, hey, Mike, you owe me $3,715.37 or whatever the, the number yeah. is. And in most states, uh, that is plus interest. Interest starts accruing. Yes, some states have prejudgment interest. Not a lot of them, but some do. But right away, when the uh, judgment is entered in either the eviction or small claims, the judge, uh, the interest starts accruing date of entry. Mm-hmm. And that, that that judgment will now, it's not just sort of sitting down there in a file, it also is going to appear on their credit report. So if they try and buy a car five years from now and it's unpaid, that's going to turn up and it's going to affect their credit. And if they try and buy a house, the, their FHA credit counselor is going to say, you know what, you kind of need to pay off this judgment if you want to get your credit score up. But uh, just waiting passively for something positive to, ha- to happen in the tenant's life um, is not what you do. <laughs> you, 
<laughs> no, we I, thirty day we go we record the judgment with the judgment lien certificate, so we make sure that it's we uh, uh, the credit report the agencies it's reported. Sometimes I've had judgments that have not been reported, and they're supposed to be indexed by the clerk and reported. So this makes sure when you uh, have the judgment lead certificate recorded that we know that the bureaus are getting it. And then we wait 30 days, and we come into the four post-judgment proceedings immediately after 30 days. They have 30 days to vacate the judgment, which is just a you know a 30-day grace period here. In the 31st day, you take that judgment and you go to one of the four post-judgment proceedings right after them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't wait around for them. If I waited around for them to pay me, you know, I'd be still waiting, okay? <laughs> Maybe a token one will come in when they have to pay. But see, that in their minds, they think, well, they never came after me, so they don't really want me to pay in a way. And also, you have to see their thinking also. If we, put, if we go after them, and then they know we're serious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm curious because um, just the act of getting the judgment is going to be an unusual experience for your tenant if they are experienced if they are experienced tenants and they have maybe I don't know left leaving landlords money owed before uh, they're probably going to be surprised <laughs> that that you are taking this next action. Um, do any of them ever show up at that second hearing? Well, then we go ahead and we either, um, in Ohio, the, the, I feel the top most powerful tool you have is the debtor's examination. And it's a debt collection, right, at 30 days after. Then we pull them in on the debtor's examination and ha- have them bring in all their tax forms, W-2, bank statements, uh, registration to all vehicles. And in that debtor's examination, that is where I have made payment agreements with the with the judgment debtors, and that is a strong tool. And then we have the three avenues of when they bring in the documents to go to the other post-judgment. But I feel the strongest tool we have in Ohio is the debtor's examination, Mm -hmm. and they fail to come to that, and they fail to come to the rule, and they do get arrested then because they can be arrested. It isn't for the debt. It's for failure to appear to a mm-hmm. rule to show cause court hearing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we we are just like all the other judgment creditors. We're right, we have to be right up there, right in line. Mm-hmm. So we bring them back so we can make the payment agreement or demand the documents to go to one of the other post judgment proceedings. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to get a feel for uh, what the what the likely outcomes are at each stage here. Uh, the when the when you fi- actually get a judgment against a tenant, do some of them just say, "Okay, fine, let's work out something where I can pay you X dollars a month, and you don't have to go any further"? I wish that was okay. Okay, now if they make that payment agreement in court in the debtor's examination that's a, a whole different ball game they can make the payment agreement naturally if they pay the what they said every month but unless they make that now if they made it that uh payment agreement in debtor's examination and they fail to pay then we get the contempt of court right behind them so it's fine but they didn't pay you why you were they were living in there so it's hard for them to pay if you don't 
put them in a position that they have to when they get out because they're survivalists. They're going to pay where they're at. So it's hard for them to pay the new place and then you. But if you put yourself at top priority, they'll have to pay you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Then I guess the thing that, that landlords get super curious about is these folks who, on the face of it, they don't really have any money. They don't really have any assets. I mean, after all, they just paid to move and just paid a, a new security deposit at a new at a new place. How do you succeed in, in, in squeezing blood from that particular turnip? Okay, here's where it is. is their weekly income, whether it's uh, where they're working, uh, even if they have a, a, wa a wage garnishment for something else. But it, where they're working is their asset. When we get the, them into court, into open court, in the debtors, and take them out into the hallway, they fill out everything, and we say, we, let's come to a comfortable uh, monthly agreement plan. And that's something, because this judgment is not going to go away. So we make a comfortable monthly agreement plan with them. Mm -hmm. They know that you're not going to go away. I'm going to bring you back every month, every year to this debtor's exam to this thing because we can demand the tax forms and t see exactly where they're at, what's coming in. So in this court, they uh, debtors, the strongest tool is the payment agreement in open court or a one-time settlement. Some of them get the tax returns, and they don't want you after them. So they'll say, I'm getting a tax return. I'll pay it up, and I make a status hearing, and they pay it up with the one-time settlement. But in there, it's not – they have money, and it's, it doesn't have to be in a vehicle. It can be the, the payment agreement. That's Out of the 90 satisfied judgments, 52 were in payment agreements made in court. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that means like 100 a month, 200 a month, 300 a month whatever comfortable that they can make, and, if, uh, and they make that agreement. Like you said, maybe they'll make it without going to court. We'll make it in court so we make sure we get it. And uh, this is like a, a blood out of, they have money coming in, even the security deposit. If they gave a security deposit to the other landlord, that could also be on your questionnaire. Legally, that's your money. It's the tenant's, uh, the, the tenant's money, which is his asset, over to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they've got the money, and it, it know it's tough. But any time they pay it up, it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. So they have to the open in court. Like they go out in the hallway, they say, oh, I'll make a $100 payment agreement. And that's in court, okay. And I'll tell you right now, they get that $100, and whether they got a cut out going to, like, Starbucks or wherever, They'll get it to you. And uh, I've had, had them pay, and they feel better afterwards, too. <laughs> it was the best thing they ever did because they knew they owed me. Very good. Uh, we have an email question here from uh, Adrian, who is in Tennessee. And Adrian uh, at least went as far as getting the judgment, but says, I have a judgment against a former tenant. I collected a small amount of it, and then she quit her job. The money was being taken from her paycheck. She's moved several times. I don't know how to find her. She doesn't have much of a footprint, and there's no family nearby. Any suggestions on how to collect? Okay, first of all, to find uh, the finder, we have to find her. And I'm going to pull my Tennessee book. I had it right. I got it right here because I was had a 
thinking that somebody was going to from Tennessee. Okay, we go ahead. First of all, you're going to have to find the, the tenant, uh, judgment debtor tenant. To pull them in, we're going to pull them in to subpoena to produce documents. That's the same thing as the Ohio debtor's exam. Subpoena to order, uh, subpoena to produce documents. So we're going to go ahead. You've got the judgment. We're going to go to whitepages.com. That's a free website. We're going to go and to peoplesmart.com. That's you have to pay for it, but they're pretty good. And then we're going to go ahead and uh, it's called the post office change of address for legal process. And we can put in a post office change if we can find out where she's at or move from. And the post office, since you're in litigation, will have to give you the change of address. And that's been a battle with the post office. And they are doing it now because that's our legal right. Then once we locate her, which we can locate her through that or courthouse websites, then you're going to get the subpoena to produce documents, court date, and that's like your debtor's examination. We're going to bring in and demand all the, their tax forms, W-2, registration to all vehicles, one-year bank statements. And when we get in there, we'll go out in the hallway, and then you can either make a payment agreement or demand these documents. And I'll tell you, they come up with the payment agreement when they know that you're, or a one-time settlement, where they know you're not going to go away. And so every year, if you want to produce all this, until I get paid, I'm getting interest, and I'm going to be after you till you pay me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in Tennessee, first of all, he's going to go to White Pages, PeopleSmart.com, Courthouse website, uh, Post Office Change of Address, ZabaSearch.com. These are websites. We find her or him. Then we're going to go in and uh, get the subpoena to order to produce documents, and we're going to pull them in for the documents to see is she getting tax returns, is she bank statements, what what has is she got a bank account, is she looking for employment, and this is where we uh, it's the key is these debtors exam in each of the all the states. I feel that's our strongest tool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, Cynthia, your your bio says that in the 20 years that you've been doing this, you have collected about $200,000 worth of judgments from your tenants. And I'm sure some of those were larger and some of them were smaller, but that is a lot of money. I mean, that's like enough, in, in, in our part of the world, that's enough to buy two more fully paid off houses. Dina, that's the best 200000 I ever collected. <laughs> because, you know why? It's because they told me you couldn't get it. You know what I mean? And each one, yes, it is. And when Gary and I just, bur- I, t- I drank the Kool-Aid and bought a whole bunch of rentals, 75 of them, like I said, I caught the drug. You know, it's like, I got to buy more rentals, like, you know. And then I was up there, and I didn't really realize at the point that, you know, I said, oh, pay me, you know, I thought it was going to be nice, you know, and change the profession. And then pretty soon, you know, it started getting months and they got behind. And so the 200000 like I said, that is the best money I have ever, <laughs> I haven't gotten checks that big. But I mean, yes, it felt good. And what it what it does is it made the full circle 
of the business. I know how to find them, run them out, collect, and it made it felt good. I remember my first judgment satisfied. The judge called me up there. They go, what are you here for? I went, judgment satisfied. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's like I won the lotto or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yes, it is, but I, ne- I use the court system and utilize it. I never get verbally with the ten- with my former tenants or judge. I just stick right to the court. I read everything to make sure that, um, you know, I don't, have verbal confrontations i do it all legally you know correctly and even after they pay me i see them places and i look over and then they look away then they look back and laugh and they they wave to me so they still <laughs> like me afterwards. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and invite more listener questions at 877-772-9658 or via our email at askvina at gmail.com Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today to Cynthia Schmidt, also known as Mrs. Landlady, talking about collecting back rents. And it's um, it's a, it's one of those things that I think a lot more rental housing providers intend to learn about than ever actually get around to learning about. And we've been trying to make it clear that uh, it's 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 worth it monetarily and that it's also worth it just as a a change to the way our industry works because you know what the the tenant that I let get by with doing thousands of dollars worth of damages to my house and not paying the last two months rent is your tenant next and if it were just better known that that was that that wasn't going to work <laughs> you were going to pay so you better not do the damage and you better not leave without paying the rent then uh I think the the entire industry would have to fight it a lot less uh we have a uh, really kind of a more of a comment here uh from esther who is in los angeles esther says many times when i have a tenant who is marginal they will ask if they can bring in a co-signer when they do that i always explain to the co-signer very clearly that it will be the co-signer i come after first for any back rent since i already know the tenant is marginal Sometimes this keeps them com- from co-signing, which is a good thing, but I think I have collected more money in judgments from co-signers than I have from tenants. Bina, that is a good one, you know, that I have said that with the, like, uh, where the 30% that you think that you cannot collect on, uh, that is the co-signer, that's great, and we can come up and d- dismiss off of one and hit the full judgment on the co-signer, that's, yes, I have done that, and that's fabulous. That's thinking on your feet. That's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A question here from Ron, who does not say where he is from. Ron says, if the tenant declares bankruptcy after the judgment has been attained, does that end the collection process? I have collected three Chapter 13s. Chapter 7 and 11, we cannot collect. Mm -hmm. So if you get a Chapter 13... We can submit it to the Chapter 13, and the trustee, you will get payments during the time, a portion of it that you pay. But it's still, once they go to Chapter 7 or 11, it's over with. 13, we're still in the ballgame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Ron, most, uh, with the bankruptcy reforms a few years back, um, most people cannot immediately qualify for anything other than a 13. Seven, seven is when you're saying, I got no money, take everything, I can't pay anything. And 13 is, 
I, I need some relief here. I need to make payment plans with everybody. And if you are part of that everybody, the payment plan gets made with you as well. But remember, if the tenant, quote, owes you money, but you don't have a judgment, you're going to get you're not going to get anything out of a, out of a bankruptcy because no, you are not so a creditor. Because you have to come in and get that. It's so important. First of all, before we can, you know, get on moving forward, we've got to always get that judgment. Always get the judgment, even if it takes extra to go back down or whatever. In the long run, we have to think of the long run. That's a long time for that judgment to be on the the cred uh, the debtor. So, get the judgments first of all. Yes, hundred percent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, question here from Carol, and and I should have mentioned uh, we kind of need to know where you're from, particularly in this particular topic. I mean, some of the things we talk about here on Real Life Real Estate uh, apply more or less equally throughout the country, and some things like this are very state sp- state specific. So, sure. it helps sure. a lot if you can tell us, listeners, where you are from. Uh, Carol says, "Glad I found the radio station." Here's my question. We operate through a limited liability company. I've been told by the court that I have to use an attorney to represent us in any court action. Local attorney's charges begin at 400 per eviction. I have more time than money. Is there some way around using the the attorney to evict and get the judgment? Well, this is something that you can do. I'm, you know, I've got, I am not an attorney. I'm a pro se that just has a, you know, a little home study course or whatever but you can be assigned your you can assign judgments back to yourself so if it was that the llc if you've got to go through the courts with the lawyer after you get the judgment you can assign that back to yourself and you can proceed to get the judgment yourself so at that at that point carol what she's saying is at that point yeah the llc got the judgment but you are now the owner of the judgment Yes. personally, and yes. I don't know of a court in the country that requires requires individuals to have attorneys when they show up to do a court action. I know a lot of them now uh, insist on there being an attorney if you are there representing your company as opposed mm-hmm. to yourself personally. So. they LLC, Vina, they have to have an attorney. They have to have an attorney, but after the judgment is rendered they can assign that through the assignment of judgments back to their personal to go forward in the post-judgment proceedings Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is great now carol has a follow-up she says i've actually won several judgments but i've never collected a dime so getting a judgment appears to be a waste of money boy carol i hope you're coming to the the new strategies summit if i said that (laughs) i'd be out about 250 (laughs) see that's but has she gone through now what state she's in? Now let me ask her a couple questions. Did you do a wage garnishment, bank attachment, levy on personal? Did you take them to the debtor's exam? Did you demand the documents? Did they show? Was it the rule, the bench warrant? Were they arrested, contempt of court? If any of them ter- the terms she doesn't know about, then she doesn't know the whole system. If I knew what state she's in, I have one for all versions. She has to take all of them to in their state their debtor's examination. You got to pull them all back in, demand all the documents, and whatever state you're in, it might be a different name to it. 
all 50 states have that debtor's examination. So she has to gather all her uh, judgments, bring them all in like I did all at once, and either get payment agreements. If they don't show, we get a rule. They go to jail. We get the money then, okay? So it's like you got to go after it, especially if she's got a lot of them. She can herd them together and hit them all at once at the courthouse. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. the debtor's examination, whatever in your state it's called, we bring them one-on-one right back to the courts. And that is the key. When I started collecting all my money in there, I'm thinking, this is where it's at. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, so if I'd ask her if what state she's in and all the terms that I just said, if she knows of all of them and have tried it, then she would know that she can collect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, when I hear you haven't done a dime, well, you haven't pulled them in to get mm-hmm. any money. Mm-hmm. And I just I just got a follow-up email from Carol saying that she is in Ohio, which is one of those okay, states. Okay, her debtor's that... examin- has, she ta- has she gone to the debtor's examination with an attached rider with it that demands their tax forms, all that? They don't come to that, then the, they go to the motion to show cause. After that, it's the warrant. Mm-hmm. So if she hasn't gone to the debtor's examination with those judgments, no, she's not going to collect any money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think Carol's uh, I think Carol's uh, the, the 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 gist of that last comment was if the attorney's going to charge her four hundred dollars every time he she, he shows up in court, it might not be worth it. But you just gave her the solution, which is assign the judgment back to herself personally. You know, in Ohio, like judgments can be assigned. Back, all ju- in 50 states, you can be assigned judgments. Some states, you can't represent yourself after you're assigned. In Ohio, you can represent yourself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when it comes back to you, there you are. Pull them all in. Excellent. And unfortunately, we are out of time, Cynthia, but we are going to see you in just a couple <laughs> of days uh, here in Get Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, going to be a busy few days for all of us, but uh, we look forward to seeing you there. And thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on Real Life Real Estate. Also, thanks to all the folks who uh, sent in questions for Cynthia. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.